Welcome to the Tej Talks Podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Welcome, everyone, to the Tej Talks Podcast. On today's show, we are talking about how to manage HMOs. So we kind of go from the start of you know how to improve them in terms of the decor, and then we talk about finding tenants, selecting tenants, vetting them, and also then how to manage them in terms of maintenance. But also we compare buy-to-lets and HMOs. So you know if you're new to either or you're considering doing one or the other, this is going to be really important to you, I think, to show you some of the key differences between both. Obviously, HMOs make more money, buy-to-lets don't make as much just bear that in mind as we go through hey and just a quick reminder my raising finance module is out on my e-learning platform now if you have never raised investment finance you need to do it safely correctly ethically and in a compliant manner you also need to understand how to negotiate how to find investors where to find them how to negotiate with them what structure do you use what contracts do you use i actually give you those by the way they're worth thousands of pounds so tedstalks.learnworlds.com check out the raising finance module. It's better than all your other mates modules. Trust me. Alex, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Thanks for having me, Tej. You know, we haven't actually had a guest on where we've really focused on the management part of HMOs. Now, I've had a lot of HMO guests on, and I think this is going to be really useful for experienced people, um, but also people who are new, who, who maybe even haven't even thought about this or even got there yet, and are actually deciding what strategy to do. Because I think some of the insight you're going to give today is going to show people, well, ooh, maybe I don't want to do HMOs, or yeah, it's a challenge. Maybe I do want to do it. So I'm quite looking forward to you know hearing people's opinions on this and, and getting some insight from you. But before we get into that, before we get into the, the source of the podcast, could you just tell us a little bit about you? Excellent. Yeah. So a little bit about me to give you a, a run through for my formative years. Um, uh, I um, about 15 or, or 16 is, is the age when I really sort of got turned on to, to property. Um, and really became aware of property's uh, ability to um, to make someone sort of make a better life for themselves. You know, property gives uh, an opportunity to build generational wealth. Um, I come from a fairly average background um, and was always been quite determined that that's not how I'm going to end. Um, so I saw property as a way to to do that. Um, and yeah, that was the the start of it for me. So as I am now. Um, I'm a property investor, developer, and most recently a HMO agent. Okay. And you, with your HMOs, you self-managed. Now, that's, I think anyone who has a HMO listening is probably thinking you're quite brave for doing that. Yeah. What made you self-manage and how many were you self-managing? Yeah, great question. I think when you talk about HMOs to most people, the one thing that puts people off is they think it's hassle. And if they are interested in investing in HMOs, they've got no intention of managing themselves. Um, but for me, um, I just, it was um, necessity, really. I, at the time, I was fairly young, tried a few high street agents and couldn't find one that was really delivering the service that I, I needed, I felt that I needed. Um, so like I said, out of necessity, I, I took over responsibility for initially finding tenants and then slowly but surely, more of the compliance and more of the management issues, and to the point where I just took it on my on myself. 
Um, and were they all close to you, the HMOs? Yeah, so I'm based in Cambridge and they're all within a sort of four, four to six mile um, circumference of, of the city. And you were full-time in property, right, at this stage when you were... Uh, no, actually, no. So I bought my first property when I was about 20 and I was working at that time as a uh, estate agent. I was a junior estate agent, um, just stacking money, thinking property, estate agency, good fit, right? Yeah. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I was 20. And then shortly after there, I bought my first HMO. And for a number of years, like I said, used, used high street agents. Um, so I self-managed for about 10 years before then coming away from, from employment to then do that it full-time wow so you were part-time property investing but also Mm. then part-time part-time managing so you're doing almost two full-time jobs whilst also doing your full-time job absolutely and that was um yeah that was a a massive challenge massive challenge um and as we were doing quite well with the self-managing we managed to meet people through networking events and family friends who were interested in sort of working with us to do theirs and it got to the point where I saw an opportunity to, to jump ship and, and start a business. And, you know, why don't, you know, because it is a systemic problem, right? All over the country, everyone's going to be like nodding their heads. There's so many agents who can't manage HMOs. Mm-hmm. And in fact, in some areas, there may not even be agents who, I mean, they might take it on, but they yes. they really don't like even touch them. Yeah. I mean, there's good money to be made, um, you know, obviously a world a total you know difference to buy to let you may never get a call for three months six months in a buy to let but why do they avoid hmos because it makes money and agents love money yeah absolutely right i i think personally um hmos there's this connotation that there's there's more hassle associated with hmos and typically you're dealing with more people and more people equals more headaches normally uh, buy to let typically you're dealing with one tenant one tenancy um hmos you can be dealing with six seven eight you know any number of people and with that comes its own challenges, which I think the traditional high street agents, if given the choice, would you like a single buy to let or do you want to manage this house of six people? Their preferences quite I mean, yeah, I, I am with that preference. If I had an agency, I mean, there's a great niche here, of course, which you're in, but yeah. I, I wouldn't be doing that either. So how has, you know, you managing, self-managing and then sort of starting to meet people and managing theirs, how has that become what you do today? Yeah. Um, so I, like I said, for a, Long period of time was self-managing and involved in uh, local uh, property networks and, and uh, Facebook groups and so on. And from there, you're hearing the same same sorts of things. And you mentioned it yourself. People don't typically want HMOs because it's hassle. Um, and coming from it from a landlord point of view, I saw it was a is a natural gap in the market to to sort of fill that. HMOs make people more money, but that means the approach to managing HMOs because they're more hassle needs to be specialist. So why not build that service? And how many people do you have? Like, what, what, is your, what is your team structure? How do you make this now a business and not just you kind of running around and doing it? Yeah, so that's how it was for, for a long period of time. Hence why I've gone more grey quickly <laughs> than, I, than I thought I would. Um, but no, we've got a good team of people that work with us now, um, employed and uh, contracted out. Um, so VAs help massively with, uh, in terms of um, the compliance and the, the administration of HMOs. We've actually built our own system now based on Asana. We've built our own property management and CRM system combined in one. So that, that helps. Um, and relationships with local contractors, local consultants. So we were able to offer that as a all in one package now. Mm, I like that. Cool. So, you know, if we, if we kind of move into now the, the kind of real content of this, this podcast, we want to share with people 
or you want to share with people how to manage HMO, how to market mm-hmm. it, and then also how to rent slash kind of compliance. So let's start off with, so just so people, so people who know HMOs, they know why HMOs are challenging to manage, right? But for people who don't know, you know, what are your, I don't know, three key things that make a HMO harder to manage than a buy-to-let for those people who are maybe deciding between the two of them? Yeah, excellent. So yeah, three three sort of key things that puts people off. I'd say number one is more people equals more problems. Um, you're dealing with, as I said, you know, multiple tendencies, multiple uh, different personality types, six individuals that don't know each other, typically aren't related uh, they all have to get on under one one roof. So, yeah, there's there's lots to consider, not just in terms of the the admin of the tenancy, but just in terms of the you know the social aspect. How do how do six people that don't know each other get on? And oftentimes you're there as a, a bit of a um, a referee, a bit of a shoulder to to cry on sometimes, and and that's all, all part of the part of the job. Which, if you're self managing or a landlord, you might typically not want to be answering the phone at nine o'clock on a Saturday because someone's stolen your, your food but there we are um the second point is would be the um is heavy management demands and the admin that goes along with hmos um and sort of following on from that the third thing would be more stringent uh, legal requirements hmos have many um licensing planning health and safety laws that need to be to be managed kept up to date with and again it's, it's just much more complex than a standard standard by select Hmm. So, you know, those are three reasons that when, when I hear you speak about them and I look at my buy to let portfolio, I instantly can see the differences, you know, like, so yeah, one tenant or maybe two, but there's always one who you talk to the most. They don't have to get on with anyone. There's no, you know, if I, if I have a, a six bed HMO, you know, in, in a way you want to somehow where possible, ensure that they are going to kind of get on and are maybe similar and socially and that in itself it's not a job in itself but it's a a big task and it's a task that you know, needs a lot of thinking and perception by you i don't need that i mean yeah i need to perceive my tenant we need to reference them and the stuff you do but you know do i care that they might steal someone's milk not really because they got no one's milk to steal so yeah. um and the com- compliance and complexity yeah i mean there's a world of difference. And even when you're building it, there's a world of difference, you know, in building regs and planning and things like that, that you you might need sometimes maintenance. I mean, with the maintenance piece, do you find that just naturally because there's more humans and there's more turnover with them changing, moving in and out that you are sort of having to repaint stuff and buff stuff. And is it kind of a continual maintenance cycle? That's quite predictable. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So I think HMOs generally get used quite heavily. Um, obviously you've got people that are effectively renting their bedroom and the communal space is almost like an extra it's there but it's no one's responsibility um, so the landlord has to keep on top of the, the sort of cleaning maintenance fixing of the, the communal space um, and then again if you've got people that are typically confined to, to a room that's that's their space where they they live sleep you know work that that gets used harder than, than it would do in a, in a normal house so definitely need um, a stringent sort of maintenance regime put in place in order to, to pick up those things and there's some there's some easy things that people can do to, to keep on top of it and not let it not let it spiral yeah and you know again comparing that to, to buy to let for people who are looking at both for me there's nothing predictable and that's not that's not in a bad way it just means that there is no sort of cycle like yeah when they leave 
you know, might have to paint over the kind of furniture marks when they moved it, you, you know, yeah. a, a set a clean. But generally, there's no sort of cycles. It's as and when, which means, yeah, yeah obviously it costs less. There is less use. I mean, my tenants hopefully are going to be there till they have grandkids, you know what I mean? Like 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah. And some of them, I already kind of feel like they will be. Um, yeah. And actually on that point, because, uh, you know, before we get into the, you know, how to improve your standards or have high standards, yeah. when it comes to voids and turnover, I mean, what's your average tenancy length? How often are you having to find new tenants? I really want to know that. Yeah, great question. So the, the turnover is higher. There's, there's no question about that. But um, well, to answer the question, I think the minimum tenancy term is six months. Um, our average tenancy is just over a year. We're averaging sort of 13, 14 months on average at the moment. And I think that's partly because we're not reliant on, on students. We're probably 65% professional um, students, which is probably quite, um, might be interesting to hear. Based in Cambridge, obviously a big university uh, and student population here, but no, it's, it's predominantly more professional. Um, but on voids, it's a great point. I think that's one of the benefits of HMOs. When we're talking about multiple tenancies, you've got six rooms. So you're spreading your risk across six different different income streams, effectively. So if one or two people leave, you're still getting income from four. And, you know, given a good notice period, you've still got plenty of time in order to sort of be proactive, market, and find a replacement for that for that room. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. That's something that on buy to lets you know, I have struggled with in the sense that mm. you know between I, I had a, a one tenant i think leave a bit early which they were always going to do um but it was like a month month and a half till we got someone in because i wanted it to be empty wanted it to be clean what and then lot you know blah 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 yeah, but yeah. in that time of course i'm paying whatever on the mortgage yeah it's, it's, it's such a small amount but i'm paying it in it so yeah. you know it comes out of a top level profit mm. so let's talk about the standards in hmos um you know, if we look at old school HMOs, uh, you know, I wouldn't even say Magnolia. I would say they're just worse than that. They're just, uh-huh. just, just a bit, I don't know, beige. And, yeah. Like, uh, I, I see why they're like that because yeah. they will still get rent. Um, it's old school landlord, might be cash in hand rent, might not even be any ASTs. They've had it for 20 years. Yeah. You know, it, it works. So if it ain't broke, why fix it in their opinion? But... Yeah. What can people do? Um, I suppose, you know, not maybe, not necessarily going into refurbishments deeply, but yeah. what could they do to improve their standards and to, you know, achieve good standards from the start? Yeah. Now, you make a great point about the um, the old school um, bedsits, mm. Magnolia, pine furniture that's probably older than the new tenants. <laughs> it's, um, it's not a pleasant place to live, but I think the we've just come through this pandemic and I think that's been a great mirror to landlords of the need to, to really improve standards. Um, and on your, your question about how to improve, I think it's quite, it's quite easy um, to make some sort of cost-effective incremental changes which really raise the standard. Um, things like a focus on interior design. We joke about Magnolia, but there's no reason why um, you can't be a little bit creative with a colour scheme. So it's, it's neutral, but still has a personality, and in the age of Instagram, right move and so on, when you're, you're scrolling through multiple adverts, if you can create a product that jumps out at people, you're going to get more clicks, which means you're going to get more interest, which means you're going to get more inquiries. Um, so definitely interior design in terms of decoration. But on that point, I would say furnishings as well. It doesn't cost a lot of money to buy you know, 
nice new bed as a a design-led bed as opposed to just a a bog standard and that i think is again something that will really raise the standard um and then there's the the sort of soft touches or the the additional extras that people can put in so uh, super fast wi-fi um you don't necessarily need to go for the cheapest if you put in one of the the best kits you've got six people typically working from home now you know that sort of thing would really help professional cleaners gardeners those sort of extras where your property is going to be looked after better and the tenants think that they're getting something more. It, it genuinely raises the tenant experience. I think a, a easy wins for the landlord. I like it. And, you know, a lot of people are going to be thinking, how do I learn one of your points there about design mm. and about making it look swag? I mean, firstly, Instagram, Pinterest, yeah. uh, House Magazine. I think it's got two Zs at the end. Um, you know, Facebook. I mean, follow HMO investors. Follow... Yeah and just look at how they do it. But, um, Alex, do you, am I correct in saying that you, you offer something that people could contact you about for free where you help them with the design or with something? Yeah. Yeah. Spot on. So we do a HMO sort of advice service, an improvement advice service. So we actually, as an example, we had a landlord, um, come to us, they were with a, an agent, um, and they had a couple of rooms that were sitting empty for about two months. So they shifted to us. Thought, what can you do? So we went around there, inspected the property, put together a, a sort of, checklist of easy wins that they can put right quite quickly quite cost effectively as a result of doing those we we're able to rent the rooms and as an uplift on the entire property we we raised the rent from well the uplift is six thousand pounds a year um for making some some small changes mm, wow that's a pretty big uplift um yeah. for free so people, if you've got HMO, then, you know, get in touch. I'm, I'll put, I'll put actually show, um, details in the show notes, but, you know, and I think that just goes to show, right, that the right knowledge, wherever it's from, the right input and making that change. I mean, that's a big increase when you look at it on like return as a percentage as well. I'm sure that that was big. And who's going to say no to extra money for not necessarily having to spend that much? And you spend it once every however many years, right? So. Yeah, absolutely. It's not just the, the increase in the rents, obviously the, the speed of which you're able to fill voids. So you've got a, a tenant in the property, doesn't money in your pocket. So, yeah. And I think as we're, we're in touch with, so you mentioned social media, we're quite active on social media um, and we keep up to date with sort of trends. And obviously speaking to a lot of tenants, we're aware of uh, the latest tenant requirements. So for us, giving landlords that advice, that's that's pretty easy for us. We're, we're, we're happy to do that and able to do that quite effectively. Yeah, no, I agree. And so, you know, that's, you know, that's how to make the room look good and how to achieve high standards. And again, just to, you know, relate it to buy to lets, very similar, you know, and obviously they're not usually furnished, but generally what you're saying is right. And resolving defects, that's, that's something that, so when you get a call from a tenant and they've got, you know, an issue that isn't their fault, like they're not being silly, like often they can be, it's something that you actually have to fix. And it's, I don't know, it's a handyman, handy woman fix, that kind of level. Do you have like an SLA for how long from the call you want the person over there fixing it? Absolutely. So yeah, I think a big part of that is managing expectations. So before a tenant even moves in, we, we have some policies that we make them aware of. So they're, they know what type of, um, uh, repair request gets what type of response and as long as we're delivering to that and they're aware of that that tends to make the whole process a lot easier but on that repairs it just i can't stress enough the, the importance of being responsive it's, it's a way of stopping a little issue becoming a big issue 
potentially saving a lot of money, but also keeps your tenants happy. Mm, yeah, I agree. And I mean, do you get tenants who, I mean, I'm sure you do, but do you get tenants who perhaps expect too much, like from the start and you've kind of had to be like, look, this is how it's going to work. Or like, mate, it's one tiny light bulb. Can you just chill? Like, have you ever had that kind of situation? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's quite common though, isn't it? With, um, it's people generally, right? And I, I think that's why I say that property is, is a people business. It's not about bricks and mortar. It's about people. So if you're aware of, um, I think what I'm trying to say is most people don't do that deliberately. Perhaps they, this might be the first time they've lived in a property or they're just genuinely not aware of what the responsibilities for the landlord are and what the tenant should be doing. So yeah, we try and work with them. We're, we're, we're quite collaborative on that. And, and, um, that tends to solve a lot of issues. And also we've got um, uh, troubleshoot guides and, and sort of manuals that really help to, to solve those issues. Nip it in the bud early, really. Cool. And so, you know, that's kind of a bit about the standards. Let's talk about advertising. Uh, you know, HMOs, especially in certain areas, are quite saturated. It's quite competitive. And there are a fair few, you know, good investors who are doing amazing designs. And actually, maybe with time and as more people do HMOs, it will get tougher and tougher and you really need to stand out. So, you know, what is your sort of tips or insight on how to advertise and to get people interested in your rooms over someone else's? Yeah. So I think um, a couple of good, couple of good uh, tips, easy wins would be great photography. And if you're not confident to do it yourself, definitely get a, a professional photographer in. I think you'd be surprised at how affordable they can be and the difference it makes in terms of, in the photography um we mentioned interior design but a sort of stage on from that would be stationing the rooms let people know how they can use the spaces what let them imagine what it's going to be like to live in these things so again staging very cost effective it makes such a big difference um and for us personally social media has been a been a godsend i think with things like tiktok and, and instagram facebook you're able to reach such a broad market and not necessarily relying on on the portals. It's not just a case of putting an advert up there. You can be speaking to these people, you know, almost as um, yeah, collaboratively. And what about now? I know with certain social medias, your copy or your content, how you write it, you know, keywords, yeah. things like that, can be really important. Now, most adverts I see for rental or for sale for properties don't really have a write up. It's bedroom, back room, front room, and you kind <laughs> of argue in a way that especially for like a buy to let rental when the demand everywhere is ridiculously high, yeah. you know, do you really need it? No, I, I don't think so necessarily looking mm. at how much the demand is. What are your thoughts on that? You know, with HMOs in terms of the write up and how you describe it and what you're saying about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, great point. I think it's, it, the write up is important. I think um, I would, to give people a, a sense of, of what this, the property is, you've got to sell the good points, right? And instead of it being, as you just described, you know, double bed, this, this, you try and give them a story and a sense of what this property can offer them. Um, but on that, I'll keep the, the write-up quite succinct because in the age of scrolly, scrolly, people aren't necessarily wanting to read chapter and verse. It just needs to be very succinct, um, capture their attention and, and be benefit, benefit-led, really. Yeah, and I think with, with photographs, I mean, when I do buy-to-lets, I think I pay about mm-hmm. 100 110 maybe 100 pounds for photos and a video so for hmo maybe you pay double that maybe um but i mean for the amount you're going to spend on that refurb and the dressing and i mean it's your baby it's it's, it should be gorgeous spend money on that like yeah i know what you mean like i've seen some photos where i'm just like 
yeah. it's not even the right orientation. It's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. who the hell's going to stay here? People do though, right? Like it, someone always needs somewhere to stay. So Literally. if it ain't broke, don't fix it is what, is what the kind of old school um, people would say. So yeah. you put your advert out there. Yeah. You've got a few applicants, hopefully quite a few. Um, how do you select the right one? Um, because yeah. I, I know on spare room, they kind of maybe fill a profile in. So you might know a few details, but do you have a process where they fill like a Google form in or how, how do you take them from applicant to sort of a potential tenant? Yeah, this is a great point. And I, I think this is probably one of the most important aspects of renting rooms. I think as an investor, you can, you can be um, quite focused on getting some money in. So, you know, you, you can, potentially be a bit hasty with trying to get people in the room, get some money generated. But again, as we mentioned before, having multiple people in a house is, is a, is a dynamic and you, you have to try and manage that. So in order to capture the, the, the applicants, like you mentioned, spare room, they fill a profile in, but we have um, a form, a registration process that they fill in, which is by and large generic, but then there's a section in there about personality and character type. So we really try and understand the person. Um, but as a, after that, we call all tenants even before we, we start showing them around. So we, we call it like a soft screening. So we effectively interview the tenants and, and try and build a bit of a relationship with them and, and understand what they're about, what their requirements are. And yeah, that's kind of how we move them along, along the process. I think that's a, it's a good thing there to be speaking to them on the phone before getting them in. I think it's tempting to just get people in, Oh, let's get viewings, let's get interest. Yeah. But Doing that saves your time. You can also stay. You don't have to leave and be sort out of viewing. But do you find that it also creates more of a want in them because they kind of feel like, oh, I'm being interviewed for this place. I'm kind of like, whoa, I've got to apply for it. Does that, yeah. that happen? Yeah, yeah, dead right. I think they maybe take it a bit more seriously and they view you differently. They're like, this guy's taking this very seriously. So if he's like that with me, he's like that with the other guys. This is... And you'll know quite quickly this is either something that appeals to them or something that puts them off. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I know my agent who finds my tenants for buy to let does this very soft screen at the start. Mm. And, and it makes a difference because most would just say, here's a time, book it in, so you're the... <laughs> and it's just kind of like in, out, in, out. And yeah. it's those little things on the tenant experience, right? That, yeah. that people, that most agents, well, let's say traditional agents, and even a lot of newer landlords, landladies don't think about, but they're humans and they're your customers right they're, they're paying the bills Absolutely. so and you're with them for for the next you know at least six months so yeah and actually go, going back to that point actually about tenancy lens you know you said about kind of 12 13 months mm. is that good or is that average do you think across sort of well, if people who are new to hmos is that kind of what they should be expecting or is that what the best can expect um no i think that's probably to be fair that's probably sort of market market average I, if anything that's we do quite well to, we, again, we say 13 to 12 to 13 months as, a, as an average. I think we we have the people that stay longer than that because they're, they're more comfortable. But I think generally speaking, HMOs are viewed as sort of short-term, short-term rentals. Yeah. Um, a stopping gap, maybe people are relocating for work and testing the water before they move on. But um, no, I think it's, it's about there. Hmm. Okay. And so if we kind of move on to maybe more of the management, um, mm -hmm. how do you handle all those maintenance requests and also the, the compliance stuff as well? Because it is more, slightly more complex. I know it differs England, Wales and Scotland, but yeah. you know, you've got certain documents you have to serve on tenancy because if you don't, it can like invalidate it. And then you have an yeah, even yeah. harder time again. 
makes no sense to me ridiculous and also you know like checking right to rent now because you know you work for the home office i don't understand like <laughs> what this bullshit the government does yeah. talk to me about compliance first i suppose because that comes maybe earlier yes. and then talk about maintenance yeah okay so compliance so from our, our point of view like I, I mentioned we built this this system um which which really helps um it's a bit of a checklist on terms of what needs to be in place when it needs to be renewed and that's all automated so we sort of remove the human element from from sort of messing that up um actually just on that we've got a hmo management plan which covers all of that uh which is a downloadable link from our website but i'll just mention that um yeah, for, for a self-managing uh, investor or, or somebody, not you definitely need to schedule that out. So maybe the use of a, a spreadsheet linked to a calendar so you know what's happening, what needs to happen and when it's happening. Um, and again, compliance checklist, speak to the local authority or your local lettings agent to understand exactly what it is that you need to have in place and the regularity that that needs to be, be maintained. Compliance is, for HMOs is one of the, it's probably the most crucial element, I think, to to making sure that you stay compliant with HMOs is such a, such a challenge. And they're always moving the goalposts as well. So mm. I suppose that's why people like me, when we, when we find tenants, we use an agent because yes, it's paperwork, but I'd honestly rather pay someone to do it. Um, you know, even if it's just for the tenant find, I'd much rather someone else has, I know we're realty, we're also liable, but I'd rather there was someone else there who knew more, was a professional, does it every day, day in, day out. Um, Peace of mind. Yeah. And you said spreadsheet linked to a calendar. Mm. That's a good tip. I would say most people, if you're managing an HMO or multiple, I would have some sort of software. There's a few different, you know, types. And I think I've had people on who've created them, but yeah. I would definitely have something. Um, I have it for, for buy to lets. Do I need it? Eh, arguably not, but it's got a nice yeah. interface and it looks, you know, but for HROs, I, I would, I would struggle without any sort of proper property yeah. management software. So do you use that software as well for maintenance? Like, does it track the whole sort of journey? Yeah. So no, we don't, like I said, we, we built our own. Um, it's sort of based on a, an Asana system, but there are, there are, um, companies out there was it Arthur Online mm. good lord couple of couple of softwares like that which would be which would be good so how do you how do you track with how do you track maintenance and then how I suppose how do you deal with it you know is it someone in the office just kind of putting two and two together and getting it sorted or how does that system work yeah so we've got quite a defined route uh, for, for managing maintenance um, and again managing expectations so the tenants know exactly what type of repair they've got, how they need to log that. Um, and from that, that's then logged and, and captured on our system. And it's a pretty much whole life system and it's transparent. So the tenant can see exactly where we are with their uh, repair request. So there's never any of this, um, oh, you said it was going to be done and it hasn't been done or nothing's moved. So, you know, if you're making phone calls to, to try and line up other tradesmen to get them in, they can see that it's transparent and it's, it's visible in real time. Um, so yeah, it's cradle to growth. Um, that's managed by we've got a customer experience manager who looks after all of that and keeps the keeps the tenants happy, speaks to the uh, the trades and, and sorts all that all that out. And I find something with any, most letting agents I've I've spoken to, I would not even touch their trades with a barge pole. I would never okay. use them. I would never yeah. use a letting agent to organise it because yeah. somehow whether they're taking a cut off it, they claim they don't, I don't know, yeah. but they're, they're tradespeople yeah. are just 
like expensive and I just find they're not like if they get a handyman in, he literally knows how to paint a wall and put some, like they're just not very skilled. Um, But then I know some agents actually, or or I know builders who work Mm. with agents and they're amazing. I mean, when it comes to finding your tradespeople, you know, is there a process? Is it, is there always some trial and error? Like, or is it kind of all referenced and vetted in a, in a different process? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the difference with us is I come from a HMO investor background. Mm. So I'm not a, a quote unquote agent. So our approach is just fundamentally different. Um, I view getting trades on board just the same as you would as an investor. And I think that gives us a bit of an advantage um, in terms of what the type of people we work with. Um, and it's pretty, maybe people that we've used before on our own projects before we'll even offer them out to, to clients. That's the difference, right? So most mm-hmm. letting agents, I suppose, aren't property investors or haven't been. So they don't like think of it from our perspective. They don't, Absolutely. you know, vet them maybe like how we would. And obviously we're very, very strict. Obviously yeah. you know, things do slip by. Um, mm-hmm. And lastly, HMOs, you know, are going to bring some nightmare situations, are going to bring some things that we really, you know, don't want to deal with or don't want to even remember. But tell me about a situation you faced maybe recently that, you know, was a bit of a problem or a big problem. Yeah. Okay. So one that springs to mind quite recently was um, we had a tenant. It doesn't happen very often, but we had a tenant that fell into arrears and arrears is everyone's worst nightmare, right? No rent being received, tenant in situ. Um, so, again, our approach is quite people-led. We try not to be um, – uh, we don't try and beat anyone with a stick. We'd much rather work with them on a human level first, understand the situation. So with this this tenant, um, we got in contact with them, and after sort of breaking down the, the arguments, we understood that the reason for them not paying the rent is because they've been um, – initially on furlough and then made redundant as a result of the the pandemic. And the reason they didn't want to tell us is because they thought if they declared the fact that they're now unemployed, that that meant, you know, no job, no home. Um, But no, quite the, quite the opposite. So we, we helped them. We've got good connections with the local, local councils. So we were able to get them um, applying for universal credit and worked with them and the landlord to try and manage that process. Um, by doing that and being involved, we were able to keep the landlord updated. He knew when he was getting his money. He felt confident he was getting his money. So that sort of dropped the pressure on, on rushing with any legal proceedings. The tenant felt that we were genuinely trying to help as opposed to just badger them for some money. Um, but yeah, long story short, we we eventually got it got it resolved. All the rears have now been brought up to date. And um, yeah, just through communication and, and working with people, we managed to get that solved. Mm. And I think there's, there's kind of mistakes on both parts when this happens, like the, a lot of, you know, property investors, maybe not so much the new ones, but maybe mm. will not see them as human or clients yeah. or customers. They'll see them as tenants, which, you know, such an old school word that has certain, you know, meanings. Yeah. And they kind of maybe see them like that when actually they have a job and family and friends, they're the same as us, just in a different position in life. Absolutely. Um, and I think, like you said that it's important to understand that, but on the same, off, off the same thing, a lot of tenants don't communicate. Now, a lot of them will blame and say, oh yeah, but you know, so many landlords would just kick us out. And yeah, yeah. some would, you know, the kind of ones you find in the daily mail. Um, but <laughs> you know, th- there's, there's sort of like a, a thing, there's like a war between both where like 
one thinks the other one's not human, then the other thinks the other one's not human, and then they just don't talk because one's scared of this, and we're scared of, well, if we try and do anything, we're going to be stuck with you for 12 months, we're effed. And the government obviously don't help. So, no. you know, I definitely see the human side, but I've also had, you know, I've also put CCJs on tenants before, you no, know, cause they didn't pay rent and they yeah. just wouldn't, they would not communicate. So I said, oh, here we go. Have this then, you know, mm. enjoy your credit for the next nine years. Um, because it, it had to be done. But then I've yeah. had other ones where we, it was just like, oh, you know, work, we're paying her late. So she had to pay a few debt. I was like, fine. Yeah, like, absolutely. Do, do your thing. Um, but what's really nice, and I'm sure you get this from your tenants is when they kind of turn around and say, you know, wow, you, you fixed that really quickly. Or like, yeah. you know, you work with that, that you, you worked with us and they're mm-hmm. surprised. Now they shouldn't be because like what we do should be normal, but it really shows you how bad some agents and some investors can be when like tenants are so surprised by us just being normal. I'm just like, what, what yeah. do you mean? This is yeah. how we manage stuff. Um, so Alex, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I think you've given a really nice journey in the various steps of managing, um, improving the standards, compliance, and really how to operate, you know, an HMO from an investor's perspective, but also, you know, kind of from a a letting agent's perspective who's on the ground and and doing it. So I will put your contact details in the show notes, but if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do it? Yeah, so I mean, you can email me direct. It's uh, alex at baburis.co.uk. It's B-A-B-O-U-R-I-S or um, our website, baburis.co.uk or Instagram at baburis underscore HMO. Amazing. Alex, thank you so much. Thank you, buddy. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.